Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, Grove.Church. And we look forward to answering the questions that you send us. So if you have a question while you're listening along, while you're reading along, uh, or just a general Bible question, I would love for you to take a moment and to send us those questions. There's three three ways that you can send us a question. Uh, one is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Or you can direct message us on social media, either the Facebook. I don't know why I always say the Facebook. I say this every week, I feel like. It's just a good time. Either the, on Facebook at We Are The Grove Church in Washington State, or you can direct message us on uh, Instagram. Our handle, if you don't follow us, uh, is... Uh, the Grove CH, uh, and I would love for you to direct messages through your questions there. All right, Aaron. Well, this is it. This is where Revelation starts to get really bonkers. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, very true. It's uh, it was all pretty. It was all fun and games with the seven trumpets and the seven seals and the letters to the churches. But now we're getting into the. Uh... Here's the thing. Uh, Revelation is a very open-handed book. Yes. And what I mean by that is there's a bunch of different ways to interpret it. Um, and my only big like stance with Revelation is I think that it's going to be like the messianic prophecies where on the other side of Christ, all of the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament make perfect sense. But at the time, people were getting it very wrong because they were all interpreting it in different ways. I think that's the way it's going to be in Revelation, um, which I know is kind of like a cop-out answer, but I don't think we can know. Yeah, I don't think it's we're true. I don't think we're meant to understand. I think we're meant to... I think the main thing in Revelation is reflecting on the glory of God and the fact that Christ is coming back and he will defeat sin and death. I think if you walk away with Revelation and that's not your main takeaway, you're reading it wrong. Yeah, um, I think it's true. Which is kind of an arrogant thing to say, but I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah, but um, I also think you got to remember too, Revelation is also depicting God's wrath against sin. True. Right. And as God's people, the wrath is not poured out against us. It's poured out against sin and those who choose to reject God's salvation. And so that's a big layer to Revelation as well. I remember used to reading it and I, I was terrified of, of all the bowls, of all the punishment, of all the wrath being poured out. I'm like, oh dear God, I don't want to live through that. But it, it's, it really is a, a, I would say it's a, vic, it's a, it's a, it's a book of victory mm -hmm. uh, of the final battle, like the final showdown, the final stand where Christ is victorious. Um, and as his people, we are inherit, we inherit the victory as well. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience some of it. Maybe. I mean, that's where you get to, when does the tribulation happen? All that jazz, but it is also a book of, of Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is our victory and his wrath is poured out against sin and those who reject salvation. Yep. All right, so starting in chapter 12, so remember we left off last week, the seventh trumpet is blown, all of the people are saying, here comes the victory of the Lord, mm -hmm. and then it just kind of like, whoo, cut off, see you next week. This week, <laughs> we're here, uh, we're introduced, it's basically a divine, uh, or I shouldn't say divine, it's a spiritual battle that is yes. taking place that's being described. And we're going to meet um, a lot of characters, some of whom are symbolic. Uh, others of whom are kind of just like straight up, that's who they are. Um, so the first one is a woman in the pains of childbirth um, who represents seemingly both Mary, the mother of Christ, and the nation of Israel in, in general. Um, so the scene opens, there's a woman who's giving birth. There's a dragon waiting to devour the child. Um, so that's Satan. Uh, and then there's a child who's born, which is totes Christ, I put in the thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Jesus. Uh, and then we see Michael 
who doesn't seem to be symbolic. That seems to be just like this. <laughs> Not really up, symbolic. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, Mark, that's yeah, Michael, it's, it's Michael the Archangel. Michael the Archangel. Yes, that's who he is. Uh, and then we see the offspring of the woman. So not the first child, but the rest of the offspring of the woman, which we would say is the church. Um, and then we get two beasts. So there's the beast Ooh. of the sea, who we would say is the Antichrist. And this is a, uh, he seems to be a political ruler who leads the people away from Christ. Um, and then there's the beast of the earth, which is the false prophet. And this is a religious leader who leads people away from Christ. So these are, these are our characters um, who are kind of going at it in war. Uh, chapter 14. In chapter 14, John sees a vision of the Lamb with 144,000 singing and worshiping. Three angels then announce the coming judgment of Christ and the fall of his enemies. And so this is one thing I want to say. Well, sorry, we'll get to that. We'll get to this here in a little bit. Well, but the, the uh, sometimes the uh, <coughs> the battle of the end times is con- is conveyed as like it's a big struggle. And that is not the way that Revelation paints it. So yes, but we'll get very we'll get, true. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, after this, we begin a section working through the seven bowls of judgment. So these are bowls which are poured out over all mankind. Uh, they are in order, sores. So not fun. Uh, the oceans being polluted, the rivers being polluted, intense heat, uh, darkness and pain, evil kings. And then the seventh bowl is the announcement that it is over, that it's done. Uh, in chapter 17, this kicks off a major section dealing with the fall of Babylon. Uh, and so Babylon here, we would say, is also symbolic um, because Babylon's already fallen <laughs> at this point yep. as far as like physically, the physical city. Um, Babylon seems to represent essentially the the wickedness of other nations. Um, and I should say that the wickedness of other faiths, I suppose, is the way to say that a little bit. But the, uh, the non-Christ worshiping um, evil in the world, I guess, is the way that I would, I would put Babylon. And so... And remember, because in in the, particularly in the Jewish mind, which is still at this point in the story of Christ, most Christians are going to have that that Jewish um, not to say background because there's a lot of Gentile there's a lot of Gentile Christians, but Judaism and Christianity were not at this point even completely viewed as something totally separate. Like Christianity was an extension of Judaism, and only later did they kind of begin to be separated mm-hmm. out a little bit in the minds of others. Uh, and so they would have this in their mind as well, that Babylon is the nation that came and sacked Jerusalem and, and took the Israelites away. And so I think that's why it's being used here. Uh, so first, Babylon is described as a prostitute riding a great beast. Uh, next, all of the angels in heaven rejoice at the fall of Babylon. And, all of, and then finally, in chapter 19, we see all of heaven rejoices over the coming final victory of God that will be over all. So this is in chapter 19, and it says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying aloud, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immortality. Uh, or sorry, immorality. Uh, and has, <laughs> Wait a minute. Those are very different words. Uh, and has avenged on her blood uh, and avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders of the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God and his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord God, the almighty reigns. 
let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So pretty cool there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just essentially, it's, it's one of those things where like the victory hasn't happened yet, but it basically like has like yeah. just like yeah get like once god is i'm saying i'm gonna do this he's gonna do it yep uh so john then sees christ come from heaven on a white horse with flaming eyes a blood dripped a blood dipped robe uh with a sword coming out of his mouth and he defeats the beast and the false prophet boom it's, it's just done yeah right it's like it's this is not a thing that is portrayed as like it's a big struggle and who knows who's gonna yeah. win it's just no yeah christ comes down and he throws them in yeah. immediately it's over uh, an angel then binds the dragon with a chain for a thousand years. And at this point, the martyrs also rise from the grave and they reign with Christ. So these are the people who, again, had been, um, when we say martyrs, what we're talking about is people who had murdered uh, for their faith. Yep. After a thousand years, Satan is released and gathers up some of the nations to him. This is where we get the return of good old Gog, king of Magog. <laughs> so <laughs> he comes in uh, and then they, they essentially, it's, they, they march against God and they are defeated in an instant. This is just just happens again. Um, we are told that the Satan, the beast, and the false prophet are all thrown into the lake of fire. Um, and this, I don't know, like, it, not to bring Lord of the Rings into it, I guess, but it just reminds me of like there's a <laughs> there's a scene in uh, like some of the extra. It's not in like the the books, the Lord of the Rings. It's in the Silmarillion, but it's talking about how like there's a king and the what Silmarillion. Oh, it's great, dude. It's a good time. Uh, there's a king and he wants to claim immortality. And so he like gets a whole big army and they have a massive army and they're going to go to like the undying lands and they're going to claim it for themselves. And then the, the God character of Lord of the Rings, who Tolkien wrote to be like, it, it's supposed to be kind of like a representation of like, like the one true God um, just intervenes and just kills them all, just destroys them. So it's just like, it's an instant. It's not a battle. It's not a fight. It's just like, they're marching with all this pride and arrogance thinking that they're going to do something. And then it's just over. And that's what I, that's what I pictured here is um, it's just, you see <laughs> Satan and Gog and they have all these nations gathered around them. They're marching forward. Like, this is it. This is our moment. And then they're just wiped out and that's it. That's the end. So I love it. I love anticlimactic, but in the best way. Absolutely. Well, I think it's just like we have, it's, it's almost a, uh, it's like a mythology, I suppose is the way to phrase it. Cause it, it, some, sometimes we have things that kind of, they make their way into our faith and we don't even realize that they've made it there. Um, we've used the phrase before, like barnacles on a ship where like you, if you don't scrape them off and keep it clean, that's yeah. eventually what's going to happen. Um, It'll sink the ship. Yeah, exactly. And so I think sometimes we just have this idea that, Jesus or, or that God and Satan are kind of like co-gods and they're warring one way or the other. And we're trying to see who's going to end up winning out. Cause it's a very, um, it's a very common theme of mythology, right? Where it's the gods who are fighting. It's not the case. There's the one true God and there is everything else. And when God says it's over, then it's over. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, I, and then here's the thing, listeners, we're just going to read the last two chapters of Revelation because it's really good. Uh, we're not going to do it all in one go. We're just we're going to pause and talk about it. Um, but I was going to originally read just 
Revelation chapter 21, because I've said it, if I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I think it's the most beautiful chapter in all of scripture. Um, and then I was reading Revelation 22 and I was like, I can't, I also have to read this. Yeah. So we're just going to go for it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to read, we're going to talk about it as we go along. But this is after the final battle. This is what John sees. So it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can I ask a question? Go for it. How much do you like that line? I love it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, Sorry, he will I had wipe. To. No, no, it really like, – it's the ultimate – It's well, I mean, I guess to pause you for a sec, it is the ultimate promise of scripture Yeah, that that, yeah. that we are God's people and he is our God and that nothing can change that. Like it's just such a beautiful thing to cling to. Uh, verse four says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. Uh, that's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, alphabet, by the way. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immortal, immoral, I keep saying immortal, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which will be the second death. Then came... Uh, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the se of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And as he carried me away in the spirit, a great high to a great high mountain and showed me the city of holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God in its radiance, like the rare jewel, like Jasper clear as crystal. So really quick right here, right? What are we seeing? We're seeing kind of that. It's, it's like a follow-up to Ezekiel almost where what it, he goes and he sees Jerusalem and he sees it full of God's glory. Mm -hmm. Like he sees it the way that it's supposed to be. It's not just, um, it's not just Jerusalem rebuilt. It is the Jerusalem. It's the way yeah. that God wants it to be. As um, it was intended. Yep. Yeah. It's like, like the most very cool, like Jasper clears crystal. Uh, this is what I have on my desk. I have a Jasper stone, um, which, so I got that idea from, um, Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book on heaven, which by the way, uh, great, great yeah. book. On yeah. We've referenced that a couple of times here in the podcast, but yeah. it, it really is a great book. Um, but yeah, he talks about how he had a father when he was going around speaking, he, uh, a father who lost his, uh, lost his child. And he was saying how he carried around a Jasper stone in his, um, in his pocket hmm. all the time, because it, he would look at it and he'd remember, um, this is where my son is. And, um, and this is what the walls of, of the city are like. And so that kind of inspired him to, I think he, I think the dad actually gave him, um, either a stone or the stone. And so like immediately, like I was walking around, uh, Seattle, like a few weeks later and there was like, you know, those like little kits you can buy with like the polished rocks. I was like, there's Jasper sweet. And I just picked, picked one out and paid for it. And then that's been on my desk ever since. Hmm. Um, sorry, but continue, continuing forward, it says it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of, uh, of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the East three gates, on the North three gates, on the South three gates, and on the West three gates. 
And on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod to measure the city and in its gates and walls. The city lies four square in length and the same width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's measurement. So, hey, good, 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 good job that they... Uh, <laughs> So now we know in heaven we're measuring by cubits. Uh, the wall was built of jasper while the city was a pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, and the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth, I don't know how to say that one, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Uh, and the twelve gates were the uh, were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for the, its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God, uh, the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, for there is no night there. They will bring into glory the honor and the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we're just getting, I mean, like, just a beautiful picture yeah. of like of, of essentially New Jerusalem. This is after like Christ's return and where where we spend eternity is kind of in, in this new heavens and new earth. So really cool there. Um, I guess this is a point to mark out like last week or the week before we talked about the vision of Ezekiel seeing the temple. And I talked about how like, okay, well, this yeah. could, like, could be the temple. Like, that was that was wrong. That was false. So because there is no temple in the new in the new heavens, New Jerusalem. So I was kind of uh, I was mistaken on that one. We so, both were. Yeah. So sorry, listeners. We led you astray there. So hopefully not too far. Hmm. Come back. Interesting. Uh, and then getting into Revelation chapter twenty-two. Starting in verse one, it says, the angel then showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp, nor sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Love that line. <laughs> Just the idea of like, yeah, we don't, the sun, that's old news. Yeah. We have God now. <laughs> we, have, we have the full glory of God that will light. That's enough light for, uh, for everything. Um, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent the angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right, but the holy uh, still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the church, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come, and the one who is thirsty come, and the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from them his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. And those are the last words of the Bible. That's it. That's the end of Revelation. Uh, I think it's just like, uh, I, th- I think so often with Revelation, I and mean, we've said this before, but we get so caught up with like all of the crazy, like how do we interpret this? And like, what does this mean for the end times? Like, what should we be looking out for? And then we kind of just miss like the end of Revelation are some of the most beautiful things. Um, just the description of of the new heaven and the new earth yeah, and our lives with Christ totally. in eternity. Um, and I think the two things like that stand out are like, it's live with that hope that that's what we're working towards. That's what we're going toward. Um, and in the midst of the difficulties of life, we can kind of sit back and let our imaginations just wonder at the fact that that is what's coming. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's the warnings, right? Because like these, these aren't just full, like, here's everything um, that the followers of Christ get to experience. It's also like talking about how it's excluded, like the, the wicked. Yeah. And it's this whole idea of like, do we find our righteousness in Christ? Are we holding fast to that? Are, are we growing in our relationship with Christ? Are we becoming, you know, like the church in, um, in Sardis, are we becoming complacent, kind of fat and mm-hmm. happy? Um, so it's, it's equally, it's equal parts hopeful, and beautiful and also convicting as well. So, yep. and that is, uh, that wraps up our discussion on the book of Revelation. Yeah. But before before Aaron gets into the book of First Peter, which is the next book we'll be tackling today, uh, we do just want to remind everyone to go ahead and leave us a five-star review if you haven't already, particularly on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, that's where it kind of helps us out the most um, and is able to get the podcast out there to more people. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more, you know, the more people see the podcast and the more we can grow this community of people listening to the Bible together. So we would love for you to do that. Aaron, take, yeah. it, take it away. No, yeah. And 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 as always, I don't ever want to take it for granted. Like, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the, the community together. And thank you for staying with us on this journey. Um, as Evan said, we're going to hit First Peter. We're also going to hit Second Peter today. And then there's a few Psalms we're going to hit at the end of the podcast. Uh, but First Peter uh, was written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, and it was written while he was in Rome, about 64 AD. Um during Nero's persecution, we'll find that he actually died, um, and that you'll see this more prominently alluded to him revealing Peter revealing that he's coming to the end of his death in Second Peter. Uh, but just for fun's sake, not fun's sake, but just uh, a little fact or whatever, like when he did when he did die, he was being dry, led out to to be crucified, and he re- requested to be crucified upside down because he doesn't feel like he was worthy to die as Jesus died uh, upright on the cross. So yeah, Nero's just kind of like the worst. He's he's got a real neckbeard energy, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I say that, I don't know what you mean. Uh, I say that, listeners, because he's the only Roman emperor who is depicted as having a neckbeard, and it just kind of, you know just kind of fits the guy. The guy's just <laughs> so you know, funny. He's just a jerk. Uh, yeah. So so Peter. Peter dies during Nero's persecution. Uh, 
towards Christians. Uh, it was written to believers in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is pretty much northern Asia Minor. Um, if I were to take the breakdown, I'd take it from uh, the essence of the New Testament resource that we oftentimes use. I don't remember if it's Towns and Gutierrez or it's the other one, but the other yeah, authors. Yeah, Towns and Gutierrez. Hey, I'll take it. Um, so they he bra- they break it down in four sections. Uh, character of believer salvation is chapter one. Uh, 1 through verse 12, the challenge of the believer is 113 to 2 verse 10, the conduct of the believer is 211 to 511, which is the bulk of the book, Uh, and then finally a conclusion at the end of everything. So that's the same breakdown I'm going to work through with the outline. Um, So we see in uh, the first section, the character of the believer's salvation, um, verses 1 through 12, just a couple highlights here before I read verses 3 through 7. Uh, In the future, believers will receive an inheritance from God. This is what Peter is saying, uh, described as a living hope, uh, as an imperishable inheritance and salvation that is certain to be revealed in the last time, which having just read Revelation, we can have a deeper picture of that. Um, In the present, believers should rejoice in, in spite of the trials and in spite of the absence of Christ, which I thought was a pretty poignant statement. Uh, because Christ is not present, uh, and we now have the Holy Spirit. Today, we can relate to Peter in this capacity where Christ is not present. Um, he's seated at the right hand of God, and so the Holy Spirit is now active in the lives of believers. Um, and the purpose of trials is to refine a believer's faith. Uh, so we see this in verse 3 through 7. I, I really do just appreciate the way Peter writes, uh, especially as it relates to the the living hope that we have, the call to be a holy priesthood. First um, Peter is chock full of of really poignant statements by Peter. Uh, So I I really enjoy the book. So, uh, but verse three through seven said this, blessed be the God uh, and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. We've said this pretty recently and pretty frequently on the podcast uh, over the last several months, uh, but just this idea of the thing that held the early followers of Christ, the early believers, the early apostles was the hope they had in eternity, that they didn't live with present momentary things in mind, but they lived with the hope that no matter what they face in the present is failing in comparison to what's awaiting them in eternity. And that that's the tension you feel and see in Peter's writing here uh, in, in verse three through seven. The hope that we have is living through the resurrection of Christ and it's kept in heaven for us. And that's, that's part of the, the beautiful tension that Peter writes from. Uh, in the second section, which is uh, and just a reminder, like the first section, there was the idea of character of, uh, of the believer, believer salvation. Um, the second is the challenge to the believer. Um, and we see in verses 13 to 16 here, it says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, remember or see that, that end in mind conversation, what's awaiting in eternity. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. In other words, referring to your, your, pre, your living life in sin before your revelation and salvation in Christ. But as the one who has called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Uh, 
you'll see in this section that Peter's going to give a fourfold challenge. Uh, there's going to be the challenge that believers should be holy in light of an approaching return of Christ, holy character of God, and the light of salvation by our Savior. The second challenge is believers should love one another with a fervent love based on their purification through faith in Christ and the rebirth of, by the word. The third is believers should grow, laying aside their previous life of sin. And then finally, in this section of all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, that they should live as priests. Believers should live as priests, recognizing their positions as living stones in the household and the temple of God. And I love, and I read verse 13 to 16 because that line, be holy because I'm holy, is is for me the filter with which we as Christians today need to be living our lives. It's not a matter of uh, I want to live in in the right ways and the right filters of my life and align how I, I view the world, but it's to live with holiness in mind. Um and I think that that's a really powerful tension is are the, are, are the attitudes, are the way that I'm living, are the actions with which I live my life reflecting holiness or reflecting something different? Uh, because that that's what Peter is challenging us to do in regards to faith in Christ and in, in regards to living today with the end in mind is be holy because I'm holy. And so so you see that in the challenge that P- Peter gives from fourfold a uh, fourfold challenge, if you will, uh, to the believer. The third section here, you see the conduct of the believer. And again, this is like the bulk of the book. Peter's setting the stage with the character of salvation, the challenge to the believer. Now, this is the, char- the, the conduct. Um, it's this idea of of how do we then live? And I, I love that he gives us a summary right out the gate, uh, which is this idea of abstaining from fleshly d- desires and to live with honorable conduct so outsiders may be converted. I love that it's 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 living in a way that's not letting sin have a hold in our lives because we want to live according to being holy, but it's also in a way and in the conduct so that those who are outside the faith may be converted to the faith. Uh, and so then it, it, like for me, it begs a the question, then how? Uh, and this is where he jumps into several different bullet points, if you will. One is the idea of to submit to civil government, submit to masters. He, he hits categories of people, submit to husbands, submit to each other, brethren. Um, he, he talks about the idea of submission. This is how we're called to, to live. As believers, we're called to submit in our lives to to one another and to the governing authorities and the masters and husbands. Um, it's not, uh, uh, and we've talked about this in the in podcast previously, but the idea is not, it's not supporting and condoning slavery, but it's speaking to a very much uh, a social dynamic that exists at the time of the writing, which I think is important to, to differentiate as well. Um, he also says how we do this is by living in light of persecution, um, that there is a possibility of suffering for righteousness and therefore we must respond with consecration to God and a readiness to testify to our faith. In other words, we're, we're really intended, like when we face suffering, is to live with a filter and understanding of, uh, I would say Romans 8 to a degree, where we know that God works in all things for the good, like the suffering and the persecution we face is for God's glory. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the idea of God glorifying himself through the way we live our lives. Like that's the purpose and the, the hope that we cling to is God that would glorify it himself through, uh, through the trials and sufferings we may face. And then a readiness to, Declare a faith. This is why I have hope. This is why I can endure. This is why I don't grieve as those who don't have hope. I, I can grieve in a manner that's hopeful and at peace because of my anchor to faith in Christ. Um, he also says that one of the ways that we do it is by living free uh, to God, we turn from sin. If we're going to live free to God, it means we turn away. It doesn't mean we live freely to do what we want to do. It means we live freely to honor God with our lives. 
which ties back to the filter of holiness. Um, and then the other the other way that we abstain from the fleshly desires and live in a way that people on the outside could be converted is we live out our Christian lives in service to each other. And I think this is probably one of the most challenging ones of of modern day American living. I don't want to live in service to someone else. I I am the 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 captain. I'm the one that drives the ship. I'm the one that leads the house. Um, and so Peter's challenging us, and and I've heard it said so many different ways of this upside down kingdom reality that we are called to live out our Christian lives in service to others. Um, Paul reiterates this. Jesus modeled this. Um, the idea that our lives are not meant to be about ourselves, but they're meant to be about loving others and serving others in Christ. Um, again, because that's ways that those who are outside of faith, outside of understanding a relationship with Jesus can be drawn in and converted. Uh, so you see this massive challenge in the conduct of the believer that Peter gives in chapter two verses uh, all the way through chapter five until the very end where it's a couple chapters, which is typical for most epistles where there's a greeting conclusion at the end, uh, which you see that in the last three verses in 12, 13, and 14. You'll see that Peter will identify um, Silvanus as a writer as well, himself as the author. So Silvanus was the, the, the scribe. Peter was dictating to him. Uh, what was being written. And then he says, greetings from the church in Babylon, as well as Mark. Uh, and that kind of wraps up the f- book of First Peter, which then Second Peter is where Evan will jump in and take over. Yeah, as the, uh, as the name suggests, it's the second epistle <laughs> written by Peter. Well, I guess there, there might be more, but it's our second biblical epistle. Yes, the one that we have. Yep. Uh, it was almost certainly written towards the end of his life um, because First Peter's already probably there. Uh, second Peter, there are some allusions to the fact that he knows his time is coming up short. Um, this is the... Uh, yeah, the Emperor Nero, one of the first Roman emperors to um, – I shouldn't say one of the first. He's the first Roman emperor to really go after Christians, I suppose, is the way to say it. Um, some of the – I think sometimes we have this idea that like from the start, all of the Roman emperors are just going after Christians. It's not really true. Like most of it – most of the persecution is kind of local um, by the the people who are around Christians. But there are a few uh, Roman emperors that go after them. Particularly, you get Nero's, like the first big one, but then you also get, I think it's Diocletian, and then there's uh, Trajan are the other ones who really are intense about it. Um, he begins by introducing himself as Simeon or Simon Peter. Um, and that's the other thing I think is kind of interesting is we, we for whatever reason, we Greeked the names. And so like <laughs> like Simon is Simeon, and but we just, we just brought it over as that way. Um, Judas is uh, Judah. So, uh, and I think a lot of people who want to name their kids Judah are thankful that we Greek that name, I guess, because, that, <laughs> because otherwise that, but that kind of ruins it for everyone. Um, true. But there's other, I can't remember, like James is literally like the, the names were changed to James because of the King, because of King James of the King James version Bible. Um, but the names are Jacob actually. So there's a bunch of them that are like that. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, he introduces himself as Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ. Uh, the addressee is not a specific church, but a very large audience. Uh, he also encourages the believers to continue to grow in Christ and as Christians. And he also reminds us that uh, we follow Christ's glory and the prophetic word. Um, and then just as a reminder, Peter's like, you know, I was there for it. <laughs> so this is in <laughs> chapter one. It says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him saying by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves 
heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain, and we did. Um, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns when the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yeah, Peter's basically like, hey, just remember, like this isn't, these aren't myths. These aren't cleverly devised, you know, stories that we're telling each other. This isn't some new religion that we're making up on the spot. Um, like we were there. We saw these things happen. It's, it's not a joke. So f- follow along. Uh, in chapter two, Peter focuses on what was a growing problem in the church, and this is the presence of false teachers and prophets. Um, a, he warns that the promise, the, sorry, that the the punishment for those people is going to be very severe. It's the whole idea of like if if you lead people, this isn't the way he uses it, but it reminds me of when Jesus says, you know, if you lead someone away um, fr- from me, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown to the sea. That's um, similar imagery that is used here, yep. and you begin to see like I, th- I think it's. We're, we're moving in church history away from the apostolic age or the idea that the people, because the very first missionaries, the very first people who are telling the world about Christ knew him. They knew Jesus, like they yeah. had met Jesus yeah. um, with the exception of Paul. And even then, not really an exception because that's what the road to Damascus is kind of all about. Um but they're, they're talking about these things that they've seen. They're talking about not just the person of Christ, they're talking about their friend, Jesus. Um, and then as these men begin to die, which, you know, we, we see the apostles are slowly, um, slowly dying. We know Peter and Paul die around the same time under the uh, reign of Nero. John is the last holdout, and that's the whole thing of Revelation. You, you move on to this next age of the church where it's the people who heard about Jesus secondhand. And so Peter's kind of reminding them, A, like you said, I was here to see all this. B, don't let false teachings. Don't let heresy come in. Like, no, this, this is what we taught you. Hold fast to what we taught you. Don't let all these lies come in um, and pollute the truth of the gospel that we're sharing with you. And that's going to be a problem. I mean, that's not just a problem for the early church. That's a problem for the church in general. Like we see that all the time mm-hmm. where um, if we're not checking our beliefs with scripture, all of a sudden we can just kind of go off in really weird ways that we don't even see coming. <laughs> it's true. Uh, chapter In chapter three, Peter reminds us that the day of the Lord will come, but that his timing might not be our timing. Uh, and I put, this is an important reminder as pretty much every generation of the church struggles with this. Um, I, I, I always joke about how every generation of the church has thought that they were the generation that was going to see the return of Christ. Um, and they've all been wrong, but it reminds me of, you know, in first Thessalonians, right? Like or not is it second Thessalonians? I can't remember which one it is now, but where he's writing and basically, hey, hey, don't quit your jobs. <laughs> like, like when we said Christ is coming back, it's soon, but oh, it's not remember. like, yeah, I can't remember which letter it is, but essentially the idea is like, it's not like this eminent thing that's going yeah. to happen right now. Um, and I think when Peter is a, it's a very good word when he says, remember to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And so basically when the Lord says that he's coming back soon, that doesn't mean soon in our, like the way we think of time, it yeah. means soon in the way that, God is thinking about this. And so don't like, and it, it, it's a balance, right? Because we should live in, in with the idea that, you know, Christ can come back any moment. Like that's, that's yeah. kind of how we should live our lives. But on the other hand, it's not um, becoming so obsessed with this that we kind of just give up our, our present responsibilities exactly. and obligations. Yes. Yep. And, but I mean, that's, that, that's Peter's point too, right? Is he's, I mean, it's all of, it's all of the gospel, really. It's all of the Bible is to point towards the, the final 
end, like the the eternity being present with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that piece to it. Like P- Peter's talking about that specifically, not just in First Peter, but also Second Peter alluding to it. But it's not to give up our diligence now and what we have in front of us now, but it's to live with the end in mind and understand that difference. So, Yep, absolutely. Uh, and then this is a short epistle, so we're going to wrap it up here. But his final greeting, um, I just lo- I just love the final greeting of Peter. But you do? You do? <laughs> I, I would have never known. I, 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 I reference it a lot. But this is in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and un- unstable twist to their own destruction as they do any other to other scripture. Okay, so we're going to break that down really quick. There's, <laughs> there's a couple important points. Uh, number one, Paul clearly views Peter, or sorry, Peter clearly views Paul as on the same level, like he is an apostle of Christ. And so that's a that's a big thing there. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that he clearly says that Paul's letters are scripture. And so, and this is, I believe this is the only time that we get that in the in the New Testament where hmm. it's it's a clear acknowledgement that Peter Peter is saying these words from Paul. Our holy scripture. So that's that's a big that's a yeah, big it's, deal. It's a big statement. It's very easy to skip past that. We should not skip past that. Um, and then finally, I, this is the one I always joke about. I just love the idea that he says like, yeah, Paul's letters are hard to understand, and uh, people <laughs> people will twist his words, but don't let him do that. And yeah. that's kind of what Peter's getting at there. Uh, but finally, in verse seventeen, he, he wraps it up and he says, "You therefore, beloved." Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. And those are the the final first and second Peter. Yeah, the final written words of Peter. And then shortly after this, he is uh he is crucified killed for down. his faith. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Crazy. Well, yeah, so that's Peter. And then we're going to read three Psalms this week, uh, Psalm 101, Psalm 53, and Psalm 55. Uh, psalm 101 is a royal psalm regarding the place that David monarchy has in God's plan for his people. The psalm sets out for David and his heirs the ideal kind of ruler that they should aim to be, um, whether they whether it was David saying, this is who I want to be, or the, the whoever sings it and recites it, they would uh, also align with that desire to be uh, the kind of ruler that Psalm 101 says. So I want to read it uh, because I think it's a very applicable for us today as well uh, as followers of Christ, as leaders within our, our society. And I would even say as as we should be leading in, in our society and our, diff- our communities, our neighborhoods and all those, our workplaces. Uh, it says this, Psalm 101, I will sing of faithful love and justice. I will sing praise to you, Lord. I will pay attention to the way of integrity. When will you come to me? I will live with the heart of integrity in my house. I will not let anything worthless guide me. I hate the practice of transgression. It will not cling to me. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. I will destroy anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor. I, well, don't really kill someone. Please don't destroy them. But don't do it. Stand up for what's righteous. Um, I cannot tolerate anyone who is haughty or with haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. My eyes favor the faithful of the land so that they may sit down with me. The one who follows the way of integrity may serve me. No one who acts deceitfully will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retained here to guide me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, wiping out all the evildoers from the Lord's city. 
So you see this royalty about it. You see this Davidic statement, stance of integrity, uh, of not wanting to compromise or even letting anybody who lives in a compromising fashion have a root or home within his kingdom, his palace. Uh, And I would say even like today, those of us who are followers of Christ, like I said before I read it, is there's an aspect of leadership I believe we're all called to, uh, to walk in with integrity. I think it's a great psalm to understand. Like I want want to be one who has uh, integrity, that my heart will not be given to compromise, that I won't surround myself with people who are involved in evil or devious things, um, but that I want to live in a way that's favorable to you. Uh, and I just think it's a really easy easy psalm for any of us to say, man, God, I want that heart. God, I want to live and lead that way. Uh, and so that's Psalm 101. Psalm 53 uh, is a psalm that's almost identical to Psalm 54, uh, and there's potential that it's just alternate versions of the same psalm before it was actually included in the book of Psalms. Um, Simply put, both psalms, they mourn the fact that mankind does not seek after God uh, and thus they treat God's people cruelly. So you'll see that lament, you'll see that uh, 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 mourning that happens in Psalm 53. Uh, the final psalm we'll read this week is Psalm 55, which is an individual lament. Uh, it prays for God's people, uh, or for God to help uh, uh, against dangerous enemies who hate the who hate the faithful. Uh, the unique twist here, though, is that the danger comes from a betrayal by a close friend who seemed to, f- to be a fellow pilgrim on the path of life. Um, in other words, that there is enemies who hate uh, who hate us. Uh, who hate the, the the psalmist. It was potentially written by David. There's a little bit of speculation as to whether he really did or not, uh, because there's not really a story that depicts betrayal by a close friend from some scholars' perspectives. Um, but we see different betrayals from Absalom, his son, or I forget his name. It starts with an A. Uh, but he was betrayed by those closest to him. Uh, so there could be a little bit of uh, of overlap here specifically. But uh, it's an individual lament, uh, praying for God's help against those who uh, are against against the faithful um, who seemingly is a close friend on the pilgrim of life path path of life who's a journey a fellow journeyman uh, but that's the psalm that we're going to read and that ends the week boom that's it well listeners thanks for listening you're the best don't ever change actually change you know grow <laughs> grow more and more like Christ every day well that wraps it up for this week's episode of let's read <laughs> Such the Bible. a weird way to end it as a, as a reminder we are a podcast of the Grove Church but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church you can find all of our other resources on our website grove.church under the media tab and if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does you can also do that on our website there's a give button in the upper right hand corner thank you all so much for listening and because I can officially say it Merry Christmas <laughs> 